Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you a little bit about our theme for this quarter, growing and protecting your portfolio. We're excited about various topics centered around this, but it really comes down to three concepts that will help you grow and protect your portfolio. You can find a PDF on our website about this. Go to wiserinvestor.com, scroll down to the bottom, enter your email address, and you'll get the PDF titled Three Ways to Grow and Protect Your Portfolio. Thanks for listening. Welcome to a Wiser Retirement Podcast, where we cover financial topics such as retirement planning, tax planning, portfolio management, insurance, and estate planning, so you too can have a wiser retirement. I'm your host, Casey Smith, guiding you to financial success are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hi, Casey. So today's topic uh, is an old debate in our industry. Uh, it's gone on for years and years and years, and it's active versus passive investing. And there are two very passionate sides to this debate. And it's likely to continue for, for a number of years because the passion has not subsided <laughs> whatsoever between the two um, investment styles and the two management styles. In reality, it probably ends up in the middle. I don't know that there's a clear winner one way or the other. Um, but I, I definitely favor the more passive side of investing. But there's probably listeners, honestly, they have no idea what we're talking about. And, what, and their idea of active and their idea of passive might be very, very uh, flawed from the reality of that definition. So why don't we just start there? You know, what, is, um, what is passive investing? How, do, how would we define that? Well, passive investing, you know, by its, by its name, means that it's fairly hands-off approach to investing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a buy and hold strategy either. What passive investing means is that you're, as an investment style, you're choosing an investment vehicle that has a low turnover, a low cost, and a high transparency for the investments in that uh, investment uh, product that you're purchasing. Passive investing simply means that you are tying your returns or your uh, to an index that has been set, and then the investment buys all the uh, securities in the index in order to replicate the return of the index. So the index itself, so that's like the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, things that we see on TV every single day. Right. But there's so many others. There's over a million different indexes that are recorded today. Because essentially any, any manager or fund sponsor could create an index and decide to create an investment product to go along with that index if that was the case. And so there are as many indexes as you could think of you know, at any given time. But there's major ones. Like- the, the major ones are the S&P 500, the Dow Jones 30, the Russell you know, indices. So yes, there are major ones that people hear about and tend to reflect the return of the overall market when they're talked about on news media. And then there's like the U.S. bond aggregate, which represents the entire U.S. bond market or... For fixed income products. Correct. Yeah. yeah, which is, tends to be a benchmark. Um, so that's something too is, is, you know, in an active versus passive debate is what, if you're, you're going to be an active manager, what, what's the, um, uh, you know, what, what's the goal, right? Uh, exactly. So in, in passive investing, the goal is just to replicate basically the entire world to replicate the index right. that you're trying to. So yeah. if I was building, we call it core, 
Mm-hmm. So if I was building a core portfolio, it would have um, probably what VTI, which represents the entire U.S. Right? Uh, we could have uh, what VEU, which represents the entire world except for uh, the U.S. So in those two funds, you just essentially captured uh, the entire world in two funds. And it costs you what? Three basis points. Right. <laughs> and it trades for free on most platforms. Right. So basically you can buy two funds. Um, you can do 75% uh, VTI, 25% VEU, and you've created a very diversified portfolio uh, with just two trades. Right. Uh, and then if you need to add, de-risk that, you would add something like BND, which is the- The bond. The bond. Right. Uh, t- or, uh, and or BNDX, which represents the- Bonds foreign. outside the United States. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. So by doing that, um, you set it there and you just forget about it. That's well, that that's, would, that's the be, beginning of passive that's right, with, that no, with be, no manager whatsoever. Right. The ultimate passive portfolio to set it and forget it. Right. You know, and, and, and that would, for a lot of people, that would that would be successful, quite frankly, if they just would leave things alone and not tinker with it. Um, but that's not necessarily what passive investing necessarily is meant to be. Uh, these are instruments that are used in a passive investment management style in order to achieve a specific return over a long period of time. So there are, as you said, you know, many, many, many indexes and fund sponsors have created investment products to go along with those to satisfy the needs of the investors, you know, uh, um, investment requirements. So but those are what I consider true passive uh, funds because they hit a couple of marks. One, they have low fees. Right. They're transparent. They're tra- meaning that you know what's they're investing in, mm-hmm. and you know why they're investing in them. Yeah. There's no secret. They, right. They report. Uh, some of them report maybe monthly. Some report daily. Mm-hmm. What, what the holdings are, uh, and then they're very tax efficient. Right. Partially the tax efficiency comes from you not trading it because dividends just get reinvested and just keeps building over time. You really don't have any tax issues by, by holding that other than uh, maybe income and dividends. But where are those right now? <laughs> yes. And, and ETFs have the unique redemption creation process to them. That hides the uh, capital gains that may occur inside the fund itself. Whereas mutual funds, although they may be passively managed, they still may pay out a capital gain depending upon if the index itself changes from time to time. That's true. You're right. The, the so, biggest issue with the buy and hold that we hadn't talked about with passive investing is while it is great, the problem that you run across is depending on market performance, you can be very heavily overweighted equities or underweighted uh, bonds at some point. So that's really the main thing is, is we are rebalancing at some point and not staying strictly passive, which is kind of the difference between straight passive buy and hold and, and overall passive investing with some rebalancing options. Yeah, the rebalancing there is really just managing your risk. So if if you're a moderate investor and you're in a 60-40 portfolio and the 60% stock over the last couple of years has now grown to 70% stock, right, and the bonds are now underweighted, you would simply uh, sell some of those gains in the stock and buy back more bonds in order to maintain your risk level. Otherwise, you're on the next downturn, you're taking more risk because it's grown outside your risk profile. So that, that's the importance of rebalancing. The highest rate of return comes from not rebalancing, actually, because equities typically go up over long time periods. Right. They go up at a faster rate than the fixed income does. But, and so you become overweight more and more and more in your but portfolio. But does rebalancing make you an active, inve- or a, an active investor? I, I, don't, I, I don't know that it, 
I don't think it would, but it's not technically <laughs> buy and hold. Buy and hold, would you buy and never look at it again? Right. True. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I say that you're still a passive investor. You're just managing the risk of that portfolio. Yeah. yeah to your risk tolerance, which we're always doing for, for clients, is making sure it is aligned with their, their goals. But even though the, the, um, the, the conversation, if you will, between active and passive managers has gone on for years, we're finding that more and more in the um, investment world that not only do individuals buy into a passive management style, but institutions have as well. Institutions are big buyers of passive management. They also utilize active management in their portfolios quite often as well. So this blend that you talked about earlier, we're seeing some of that occur in, in the marketplace now, where investors, especially the large institutional ones, are utilizing the uh, tax efficiencies, the, the low cost, and the exposure to the asset class all by itself, through ETFs and um, investment mutual funds that are follow a passive strategy along with active style within it. So it's not an unusual to see a little bit of, a little bit of both in, in that. So, um, but the passive management, you know, has grown in popularity over years and is now actually having greater inflows into that management style than active management is having currently. There are some perceived disadvantages to passive investing. Um, I don't see them as disadvantages, but they, they say that uh, on the active camp that, well, you're limited to market returns, meaning that you could never get anything greater than the market because you own the market, right? So if your job is to beat the S&P 500 and you're invested in the S&P 500, you might beat it in a weird year, but you're going to be it by a very small uh, basis point, right? Well, the point of active management is to try and outperform the benchmark. Okay. So the active manager is saying, well, if you are the benchmark, then you can never outperform it. So that's a disadvantage to the shareholder. We don't see it that way. And and we'll get into different reasons for that, you know, in a little bit in this conversation. But when when they say that you're limited to your investments, it means that you can't hide from any investments or any sectors that become out of favor at any given time. Whereas the active manager says they can sell those positions in their portfolio and try and avoid downturns in his sectors or company specifics. But that necessarily isn't necessarily the case always because they have parameters in their investment management style as well. And they have to essentially uh, market time the market if that were the case in order to avoid a sector or a company um, perceived uh, future returns. So it's, it's, it's a false argument to say that, you know, you, you're limited to, um, the, uh, to, to your returns yeah. when you invest in, uh, in ETFs and index related products. So let's, let's de better define active investing then. So if you're an, if you're going to be an active investor, um, I think one of the main criteria is, is you're participating in market timing. Absolutely. Because the, you're, you're, whether you're just as you said, your sole purpose is to is to beat, beat the index. something, beat yeah. an index. Right. Your benchmark. So in order to do that, you have to look different than the benchmark. Okay. And that's called active share in the business. And the higher the active share, the higher differential you have from the, from the benchmark. But as you move away from the benchmark, you increase the risk of your portfolio as well. And that's what we see a lot. Um, We'll talk about this in a minute, but we, we see that funds that actually 
managers to actually beat the market or even individuals or even, you know, maybe other small advisory firms and say, yeah, we beat the market on a consistent basis. You have to adjust that for risk. That's so, right. So if you're invested in the S&P 500 and it has a standard deviation, let's, let's say uh, 15. So that, that means that, you know, your average rate of return, let's say it's 8% and it deviates by 15, 15 either right? way up or down, but your rate of return is 10 from whatever you do, but, but your, your standard deviation was 25. Yes, you beat it, but you took on more risk. So if you added more risk to a passive investment portfolio, like maybe you worked in small caps or emerging markets or something, you, and you took on more volatility and you, thus you got a higher rate of return. It, it It's kind of, it's, it's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's what, yeah, it's what's supposed to happen. But we see that a lot when we we get uh, asked to do comparisons. We say, hey, you know, with this advisory firm, I want to hire you guys uh, to come in and give me a second opinion. And we say, okay, well, your performance is actually not bad, uh, but your your risk is a lot higher than what you probably think that you're getting. So your downside is going to be a lot bigger when it happens. We're in a great 10-year span with a few little blips, the COVID blip, everything went down as one uh, for a couple months there. But the downside risk can be much greater and people don't necessarily see that, um, which is why we see active managers will typically outperform in the short term, but they can't outperform in the long term. Well, the reason why active managers can and sometimes do outperform in the short term is because their investment management style and the trend or momentum that's taking place in the marketplace match up together. And so they're like riding a wave at that point in time. But we all know what happens when waves hit the beach. <laughs> right. They crash. <laughs> and it's very difficult for a manager to find that next investment trend or investment wave in order mm -hmm. to ride it. I think a, a great example is the um, Kathy Wood, who manages the ARC funds. Great manager really tremendous returns in 2020. She mm -hmm. rode that wave. Her investment management style and the marketplace matched up beautifully. But since then, she's had a little bit more difficulty you know, getting the returns that she had had in the previous years. It's not unusual because less than 30%, I think, of managers who do beat the market in any given year are able to do it again the second year because the trend changes. It moves away. And then the market, the manager is left with the assets and the investments that they had the previous year, and those become out of favor. Yeah. And like you said, it's a cycle. Every couple of years, they need to change. You know, or really, as an investor, you need to change out of that investment every couple of years. Right. It, advantages to active management would be flexibility. So you'd have you'd have the ability to move in and move out of certain sectors. Um, you know, but we we fight this with some clients now um, with, you know, maybe with on the bond side, right. And saying, uh, why do I have this bond fund? Why do I have this bond fund? It's like, well, there's a reason why you have a bond fund. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's a whole nother podcast, but it, active management gives you that flexibility to be able to um, kind of hop in and hop out. Um, it gives you uh, the ability to hedge, like, I don't know why you would ever hedge a passive portfolio. Right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
Um, well, a lot of those active bond funds too actually aren't really bond funds. They're, they can have equities in them. They can be high yield, and so they're not actually. They do a lot of currency it. trading in those. Right. Cut off so, too, and you got to be careful about that. Right. So it, the the returns might be a lot better than the standard ag, but um, you're taking on a lot more risk when the when it actually matters at some point. In an area of your portfolio where you're trying to de-risk. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's a good point. The. Uh, uh, disadvantages, obviously, of active management is it's usually very expensive. The good funds, the good managers cost the most. Right. Well, you're paying for staff of people who are analyzing securities or analyzing the markets. They're, they have CFAs and they have you know, degrees from pedigree college or colleges, and you know all that costs money. And on the passive side, you still have portfolio managers and you have administrators, but they're not actively analyzing every security in the portfolio spending time and energy and effort doing that. So right. the costs are just lower. Because they're just replicating whatever the index is. That's right. And the S&P 500 actually has a committee who decides who's going to be on the S&P. And there's criteria, but they still have to pass through committee. Right. So on the S&P 500, if, you're, if you have you know, like a Vanguard or an iShares uh, S&P 500 index fund, all they're doing is just buying whatever those – the committee, the, the committee has, has decided. I mean, that's right. I, call, I don't call them fund managers. I call them fund administrators because that's really what they are. And Just making sure that that the um, product trades smoothly and efficiently through the market. Exactly. Um, is, is their responsibility. So, you know, it, it, it's um, if you think about different levels of investment. So you have large cap, mid cap, small cap, foreign, emerging markets, and then you have bonds. Um. There's a common uh, uh, thought that, okay, no one can really beat the S&P 500. Like it's very, over a 20 year period, it's not really probable that you beat the S&P 500 yet. It's kind of funny. That's where a lot of firms like ours, that they manage individual stocks at the large cap level. And then they use index funds for all the satellite positions <laughs> and they actually have that backwards. They'd be better off just buying the S and P 500 and then possibly using active management for small, mid foreign emerging markets. But that trend's actually reversing where we're actually seeing that, that it's really not more advantageous to be active on at any asset level. Uh, you look at active bond funds, they've gotten completely annihilated by B and D or, uh, not not necessarily B and D, but the aggregate over the last decade, because they've been wrong, as have a lot of other people. <laughs> Bonds are kind of funny right now, right? But the point is well, yeah, that it, that that you ha when you invest in a fund manager, you're taking on manager risk, and people don't always see that. No, they don't. And and when you invest in a fund manager, uh, you're, you're outsourcing your your investments to this person to manage it. For you, or their, or their team, or or their group, and and what you're alluding to, whether you know, like large cap, mid cap, and small cap, is that all publicly known information at any given time is presumed to be efficient. That is one of the ideas of investing: is whether you you have known information when you make your investment management uh, uh, decisions. So in the large cap. You have analysts covering all these companies in the S&P 500. So it's presumed that there's no inefficiency, that all information is known, that every manager and every analyst has the same information, and they can either see it one way or another, but they don't have any um, 
um, advantage to over one another. When you got into the mid caps and especially even more so into the small caps, it was presumed that there weren't as many analysts covering some of these companies. There's just so many. The Russell 2000 small cap index, as it says, there's 2000 companies right. to cover. That's very difficult, if not impossible. So any one particular analyst or any management team for investment mutual fund, for example, if they found a company that was not being covered, they might have an advantage because the information base isn't publicly known at this point in time. Okay, It's not efficient. As more and more analysts get into the business as the use of software and you know uh, these things where you know uh, companies become more efficient at reporting their their financials to the to the analyst world that's efficiency is getting greater and greater and greater both at the mid cap and small cap level so it's becoming even more and more difficult to exploit information in the small caps than it was in the past yeah so it's becoming even more and more difficult for small cap managers to beat their small cap benchmarks you know, the, um, what we always tell people is invest for the long term, right? That's our whole theme uh, for this quarter in our podcast is keep costs low, maintain diversified portfolio, and focus long term. But what, is, what does long term mean? You know, you, you think about that, you know, people go, oh, uh, two, three years. Well, I, I'd say that if your money's supposed to be invested for three years, it shouldn't be invested. You just shouldn't even be in the market. I mean, that's what you tell people during the financial planning process, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the most uh, common questions we get is, uh, you know, I might need this money in the next few years. I'm earning 0.4% as savings, as high-yield savings account. Inflation's going up. What do I do? Well, if you need the money, then it's probably not in the next few years, year or two. Uh, it's probably still not something you need to be invested fully in the market. Um, it's just kind of the environment we're in right now. You know, I, I have a, um, a chart here that I found. Uh, it it's a little dated, but it goes from 1926 to 2011. So I was looking at all these ranges. Um, it was something that I had um, uh, just just from a presentation from many years ago. But um, one year period, so one year time period. If we're gonna invest the money for one year, you you have a uh, you could get a 54 percent rate of return historically, or you could lose 43 percent. So that's your range of possible. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the range. Anywhere yeah. anywhere in there. You can lose 43, you can make 54. Uh, if you're going to invest for three years, you could um, make 31 or you could lose 27. Okay. I mean, I'm not a gambling man, <laughs> but that's a little better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Five-year period, um, you know, up 28% or down 12 that's a lot more manageable, right? Right. Uh, you want to go out to a 10-year period? I didn't think there was a 10-year period where you actually lost money, but evidently there was one. Uh, you're down 1.4% or up 20% over over a 10-year period. You want to go out 20 years? You've never lost money. It's never happened. Up 3.1% annually is the worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario is 179 over 20 year periods. Over 20 year periods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So so when you say focus long term, that's what we mean. We mean 10 plus years, but we're really focused on that 20 year mark. And so when you build portfolios, you want to build them with what we call long term healthy asset classes. 
So every single fund in our portfolio is representative of an index and it's always made money. It's never lost. Right mm-hmm. now. Does it mean that it didn't lose over a one year? What well, had a de- It may have had a decrease in value. Correct. Right. Three year, five year, 10, 10 year time period. Doesn't mean that it was out of favor at any particular time. But that is, that's basically the, the rock solid foundation of passive investing is the fact that active managers over this 20 year period aren't going to do you much favors. So it's really more for the short term. That's, that's, it makes more sense to me is why you'd have active managers is more for the short term than the long term. I mean, honestly, we joke about this, but we're half serious. Why wouldn't you just invest all your money in the S and P 500? <laughs> you just put it all in there. I mean, if that's not how we manage it. money, but, but I mean, you think about that way. Give me a time period where that was a terrible idea. You know, the index itself is said to cover so over 80% of the marketplace of the returns of the well, especially now. Yeah, yeah. 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 As, as we get into these mega caps, you know, and these are global dri- companies that are driving, you know, returns these days. So absolutely. We, we talked about rebounds. I mean, the, to your point, 2007, 2008, if you could stomach 50% drops. Yeah. Uh, that's the hard part. Yeah, exactly. That's but the hard other part. than that, in the long run, like you mentioned, it rebounded and it's done great. So you just gotta have it. That's what goes back to the buy and hold. It's not actually, the fact that we're not maybe doing a little active management on the way that we rebalance portfolios, but that you're not getting in and out of the market. You're not going to cash. You're not going to bonds. You're still invested to your asset allocation over that long time period. It's building a passive portfolio, but making active decisions about how to manage that portfolio. Right. That's, that's where we're adding alpha. We're adding value to the portfolio as managers. Now I I think most of our value comes in the form of planning because most people have no planning or poor planning. And so we're able to help plug in gaps and say, okay, does, you need to make these changes. There's more than one way to lose money. It's not just a stock market. <laughs> you can do other things. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so financial planning is, is what you should be paying an advisor for. Portfolio management will be a part of that, but it's a smaller part of that. Yeah, I mean, beating a benchmark is not going to do you a whole lot of good if you're not living within your means or spending too much or not saving enough. you got to focus on if you're on track first. Not having proper estate planning done, so you're going to leave it to Uncle Sam. Right. Or not having the right kind of insurance, so your house burns down, but you don't don't have enough money to get put it back together. You lose wealth that way. Or, it might, you know, terrible. You're at fault for something, and you don't have enough coverage. You know, so right. there, there's a lot of different, right. there's a lot of different scenarios and, and, and as the higher the assets, the more, more bigger, the complications get and what, um, predators out there would be trying to extract out of you financially. But, uh, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, uh, rabbit hole. We don't need to go down. But the point is, is that, um, I feel like so many advisors or firms are actively trading simply because they feel like they have to show their worth. And that's not how you show your worth as a financial advisor. Well, no, on the, on the brokerage side of the business, that's, that's their business model though, is to buy and sell securities on behalf of their clients so that they're doing what, what their business model demands them because them to do. Because that's how it started many decades ago where they only made money if they made a trade. Correct. The old, uh, you know, stock jockeys and Trans- transactional commission. Yeah. And so, they're, but they're still doing that. They're just doing it in a different, 
d- different view. Right. It's a different format that they present you know, to the client right now. But it's but it's still underneath it. It's buying and selling securities. <laughs> yes, yeah. correct. That, yeah. That's that's the whole point. Um, and at the really big firms with with ultra high net worth people, it even gets more complicated because you have okay, Goldman and you have them on both sides of a trade. So you have them contacting you, say, "Hey, I've got this great fund for you." In the meantime, they have another client who's uh, you know maybe betting against you, right? Or maybe the firm's betting against you. Even they don't have to tell you that stuff. Um, but anyway, the point the point is is that um, the value of a financial advisor is not in the number of trades that they make. It's about getting you safely to the destination, right? We I mean I use the airline pilot analogy all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's real simple. You know, you take off, you, you rotate off the runway. One of the engines catches on fire. You do nothing. You fly the airplane. You make sure that you get to a safe altitude. You pull out this book. You run a checklist, and you know what? If the engine burns up and falls off, which happened in that United Triple Seven out of Denver, uh, was it last year or year before last? It's designed to do that, right? And yet, everyone in that plane got back safely. And a lot of that translates into risk management and portfolios. Sometimes the best thing to do is absolutely nothing. It's like, you know, at times the stock market is like talking to an irrational person. And sometimes when you talk to an irrational person, you realize that this person is never going to (laughs) understand like my point or that I'm right or whatever, or that they're they're harming themselves. And what do you do? You just have, you have to walk away from it and you you come back and reevaluate when they can talk. Well, one of the advantages of hiring, you know, at a financial advisor firm like ours is that we take the emotion out of the investment about the investment management, investment style. And we simply look at the market relative to a portfolio, relative to an investor's objectives. And those are the elements that we put into our decision-making. Whereas in, quite often emotions get in the way and they muddle the person's you know thought process. And it just it becomes confusing and becomes uh, frustrating. And it, they begin to shut down on us. We see this over and over and over. By hiring somebody like us, we help them through these decision makings and we keep them invested for their own good. So all this sounds great and we didn't mean for that to be an infomercial, but we're very passionate about what we, we do and how we do it. Uh, but there is a there is a scorecard. So this, you know, this active versus passive, there's a scorecard for this. Uh, it's produced by S&P. Uh, it's done every six months. So we don't have one for 2022 yet. We have uh, midway through 2021 was the last report. Uh, we'll actually put this in the sh- the link in the show notes if you want to go and uh, and find this yourself. It's it's an email I'll look for uh, usually around June uh, that'll come out with with the next version, uh, or I guess it'll be one sometime in January for the last half of uh, 2021. So the SPIVA report is produced every six months, and it shows active versus passive managers, right? Active management versus the indexes, really. Um, they have a methodology that they use. Um, so, you know, they have, well, really it comes down to five, uh, survivorship bias correction. So many funds might be liquidated or merged during a period of the study. Um, these are, these are accounted for, uh, and you know, it's not just the survivors that are, that are accounted because then, then the funds that, the funds that survived, would be obviously probably the better ones. Right. And, and the premise is there that the ones that didn't survive were the lower performing funds. <laughs> right. right. So mm-hmm. so they, they take into account a survivorship bias correction in the, in the report. Uh, they do make an apples to apples comparison. 
So re- regardless of uh, size or classification, um, it, basically it's, it's making sure that they're, they're using the proper benchmark. Because a lot of times you just compare a mutual fund to the S&P 500, but it may not actually be in the S&P 500. It might have half its money in small caps or half its money in mid caps. So we're, they actually adjust for how the fund's actually invested and what appropriate benchmark would be. Um, they look at uh, style consistency, um, making sure that the if they had better performance, they didn't just change how they're invested. Um, and then uh, asset weighted returns. So they they actually use um, uh, see so average rate returns of a fund group are often calculated using only equal weighting, which results uh, uh, in the returns of a $10 billion fund affecting the average in the same manner um, as the returns of a U.S. dollar uh, $10 million, $10, uh, million dollar fund. So a more accurate representation of how market participants fared in a particular period is found by calculating weighted average returns where each fund's return is weighted by its net assets. Spiver scorecards show both equal and asset um, weighted averages. And we have uh, data cleaning, which is the final one, um, where we have multiple share classes, um, and and they they're combining uh, those into one. Is how I believe that works. Uh, it also includes excludes index funds, leveraged and inverse funds uh, products. So we're not using any of those type of products when we're comparing. So there's right. no index funds in the report, and there's no leveraged uh, leveraged funds in the report. Uh, and most of these would be, um, mutual funds, not ETFs, right? Cause ETFs tend to be technically passive, passive. tracking, <laughs> tracking an index, which could be active. That's yeah. very confusing. Um, so these are more your classic, uh, classic mutual funds. Probably a lot of these you'd find in a t- typical brokerage account at any big, big advisory firm. So what I find is that, um, this my favorite report. It's I don't know how how many pages was this thing like thirty five pages. My favorite report is the risk adjusted returns. So, if you look at uh, all domestic funds, so just that means uh, these are like all cap. They invest in large, mid, and small in the U.S. Um, over three years, seventy five percent underperformed their the benchmark. That's a big number over 75 years. Um, over five years, 78, so about the same number percentage. Over a 10-year period, 92% underperformed. And over a 20-year period is 93.8, call it 94%. So 94% of all cap managers underperformed. Now in a space that uh, it's probably more easy to quantify for people, large cap funds, which would be the S&P 500, uh, 68% in the short term. We talked about that earlier in the short term. They tend to, they tend to beat, right? Um, but still, that's a very small percentage that we're doing it. Right. Uh, so five, really it's the inverse that, that does it. So 32% yes. beat right. the benchmark. 74% over five years, 89 over 10 years, and 94% over a 20-year period. Failed to beat. Failed the bench, to beat. Yeah. Failed the benchmark. Beat. Correct. Right. And then, and when we're talking about our investment time period, we're talking long term. So here it is. 
Yeah. It's right there. Right. There's the 20 year, the 10 year, the five year, and the three year. And then in the uh, small cap space where you expect them to outperform, like small cap growth, over a 20 year period, 98% failed to beat the index over a 20 year period. Um, now, in the short term, though, over a three year period, 18% failed to beat the index. That means uh, nearly over 80% did really well in the short term. But you keep holding that fund over a 20 year period, it underperforms. So, look. You know, our job is to get people to the to the finish line, which typically is age 95 without running out of money, right? And living a quality of life that they want. So if if we're betting on success, I would bet on the passive side because it's telling me right here that I have a 90, on average, looking across all these, a 92% 92% chance take those odds of beating any other strategy. <laughs> if I go with the passive index funds, you have, you have better odds at Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right. Right. So, you know, that just, again, in, there's, there, there are some bright spots, some active managers in real estate, which uh, they pointed out uh, in their cover page, uh, active managers in real estate over a three-year period look pretty good. Even a five-year period kind of falls apart again at 20 years, uh, 80% still underperforming. Um, you know, mid-cap, mid, I don't know why anybody would have a mid-cap fund manager uh, based on these numbers. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, you just have to be patient. You, you, you have to understand there's going to be times when other strategies in these mutual funds are maybe outpace you in a, in a passive environment, but understand over the long term you're going to be the winner. Yeah, that's what the data supports. You know, the, the, the passive style of investment, is it really is the, like, know what you own and why you own it for the period of time that, that you plan on owning it. You know, and that's the whole point. It's transparent. You know what you have. You know what you're buying into. You know what you're paying for. It is the ultimate investment for, for somebody trying to achieve their objectives through investments. And, you know, and, and that's our approach. I mean, the average cost of our portfolios are now down to 0.005 of a percent. Uh, everything trades for free now on the Schwab and, and TD Ameritrade platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, so the cost of investing is 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 basically zero right now. Um, so, the, the, you know, the it's, it, it's now even a harder time to beat the index funds. Exactly. Because the cost is so low. You know, the average active mutual fund is in the 1% fee range. Yeah, and those have been coming down too. They're they have to. They're coming down a bit, but yes, yeah, they have to beat that before they can yeah. even beat the index. Yeah, I mean, they were higher, but you, it's not rare to see them 0.5 still right now if it's not a asset-based one. Um, right. So... It's pretty significant. So kind of going back to the beginning, I, I, I do wonder uh, in ETF world, we have, uh, we've, we've created all the passive ETFs. Now we have active ETFs. Uh, we have factor-based ETFs. Uh, we use one in our portfolio. It's quality, Q-U-A-L. Mm -hmm. It's a quality uh, screen for large and mid-cap stocks. Um, is that considered active or passive? Well, they're, they're, they're active in that they're constantly searching for appropriate companies to put into their index, but they're passively managed 
relative to as long as they come through the screen, they remain in the portfolio. Yeah. I'm a purist. I, I think that <laughs> it's the S&P 500 is passive. And if you do anything out beyond that, then that's considered active. So I, I see qual as an active strategy, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it's benchmarks a little different, I guess, because it, it is a benchmark in itself. You know, it's a benchmark of quality, right? Quality funds or quality companies. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That doesn't really change anything if that's considered more active, but, um, sector rotation. So you can be active. You can buy ETFs that only cover certain sectors of the, of the stock market. And then you rotate those every year or every quarter on certain, based on certain parameters. That's definitely an active strategy, but still using passive, passive funds, vehicles to, yeah. to implement it. Right. So your holding period is probably what helps you be more passive than it's getting, it goes back to market timing. We don't participate in market timing. Mm -mm. Therefore we're not active managers but we do make changes to the portfolios as opportunity presents themselves. That's right. So. That's right. We can talk about this forever guys. So good conversation. Sounds great. Enjoyed Thank it. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to a wiser retirement podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you don't miss any new episodes. We would also appreciate if you could leave a rating and review. If you have any questions about anything that was discussed today, head to wiserinvestor.com and reach out. We would love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Lil Tim Moore. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.